Good afternoon, Meat Suits. Welcome back to Read It and Weep, a podcast that's been going on for much longer than it seems. I'm your host, Alex Falcone, recording from North Koreatown in Los Angeles. Uh, before I bring in everybody else today, quick thank you to some of our meat buddies. Uh, I want to give a special shout out to Alex, who's been donating since 2018 and did not want me to make a big thing about it. So this is me making a tiny thing about it. Um, and then also to Bridget, who is mostly listening to our spin-off show, Pack Your Mics, but has been supporting us since 2017 and doesn't like that I say her name that way. Um, if you want to join them and help keep us limping down the tracks, you can go to metreon.com. And thanks to everybody who supports our show. Let me introduce you to your panel for the day. We have an excellent one uh, that has never before been assembled on human earth. First up, he's in Southeast Portland. It's Mr. Anthony Lopez. Hey, excited to be here. Good. Great. Clear. Um, It sounded like you were about to say more. It it sounded like you were about to say more, and then you didn't. No, I'm currently in the minute of deciding if... So, you know, there was those fires last week and the air was real bad. Well, yeah. we, we had we had to like tape like we have an AC air purifier unit uh, mm-hmm. that has to a thing, a hose that goes into the window. So you have to have a window yes. open a little yes. bit. So we had to uh, duct tape it in there so that none of the bad air. Can get <laughs> yeah, in. right. Right. Uh, and usually I close the window when I record and I'm on a very loud street. But I'm just looking at that duct tape being like. Totally. I probably should have disassembled all that, but I got too lazy. So. I have this name set up, and I have like 16 different pieces of foam jigsaw puzzled in there. And so if I open the window, I will have to spend a half hour reassembling it. Yeah, um, so if you hear really loud motorcycles or trucks go by, that's that's on my side. I'm sorry. Totally understandable. Uh, also joining us, he's at Hunbun on Letterboxd uh, from the woods of Arkansas. It's Mr. Hunter Donaldson. Yeah, what up? It's me, Woods Boy, back again, eating wood okay i eat wood oh I eat leaves. you're a beaver i'm now a beaver i've become I mean, a beaver <laughs> are you more of a beaver or a woodchuck or is it I, wood am, I am just a forest consumer that's what, what i was saying what is a woodchuck i don't even think besides chucking wood They're what actually beavers is beavers that only they just eat wood and they don't even it's do a groundhog a woodchuck no. is also a groundhog also known as a woodchuck holy cow you guys yeah, you just found something out. You learned something live I, on the show. Yeah, a live right learning. Now. This is our new segment where Alex learns something live right here, I mean, right a, now. That is a running theme of the show. Um, they're also omnivores, which is kind of sketchy. And they're basically sketchy. the lar- they're one of the larger ground squirrels. Now show me what uh, what meat animal, what meat based animal yes. could a groundhog actually eat, though? Excellent you know what I mean? question. What are they going to get? Uh, I love this question. Um, Look, yeah, do they have to team up and kill people? They occasionally, you know what they say, right? Always be aware of a, someone who has a groundhog phone. Because, you know, <laughs> you dump a full body in a groundhog phone, they'll eat the entire thing, bones you and gotta, all. You uh-huh. gotta starve them for a little while. Yeah, you gotta yeah, starve them for a little while, then you just dump a body in the groundhog thing, and they just go to town on it. Boring answer, perfect crime. Perfect Hunter. Crime. Per- boring answer is uh, grubs, grasshoppers, and snails. So they eat some bugs oh, occasionally, yeah, bugs but they do meat. prefer. Oh, I always forget that bugs are meat. I've I know. Forgotten that. I know. Oh, uh, don't worry. With the way uh, the way the world's going, we'll all be eating bugs very soon. <laughs> oh, Y'all are all gonna come down to my level. <laughs> I <laughs> I was riding my bike the other day and accidentally swallowed a bug, and it was really disappointing. I have to give my vegetarian card back. 
Uh, after ooh, so many years, technicalities do that. Yeah, they, that they're work? very persistent. The the membership group, the union, is very strict. Um, let me bring in our third guest for the day, uh, rounding our panel. Very special guest. He's at uh, um, uh, Mr. Gan is what it looks like uh, on Twitter. M R G A N on Twitter. He's in Portland, Oregon. He um, is a designer and a game designer at Panic. Uh, please welcome Nevin Morgan. Hi there. Thank you for having me, Alex. Um, so good to have you on here. I meant to double check how to pronounce your last name because I've never said it out loud before and I uh, got really embarrassed there. I hope that's close enough. It just oh, that, looks like it's missing a vowel. Yeah, absolutely. It's because it's one of those languages where R is a vowel, you know, if you can roll it. Oh, so. Sometimes Y and sometimes also R. Yeah, yeah. Are wow. we going to do another Alex okay. just learn something segment? <laughs> I did just learn something. This Somebody can serious. roll their R here, right? Like, I don't know, Anthony. I'm for sure. Or yeah, I'm, yeah, man. I'm, yes, I'm sorry, buddy. I, I can't do it. I for sure am the person who can roll my own. <laughs> Anthony does struggle a little bit with the R on its own, let alone rolling it. Yeah, um, just a little bit. I uh, try not to ever roll my R's in front of me, Anthony, because it feels mean. Hmm. Well, uh, I, sh- I should be leaving then. Okay, so that was a good podcast you, episode. You, <laughs> no, it's uh, really would, funny. Would you I normally roll it? In, in, in the old country, yes, you would. Uh, you would, okay. Here, here, I just... Morgan is fine. Morgan is fine. Morgan? Morgan? Uh, yeah, there you <laughs> oh, go. Oh, I like that. Oh, that's yeah. so fancy. Oh, you did um, it. So, uh, before we talk about this week's Show topic, <laughs> yeah. I have so so very few times where I have an edge on you on this show, and I thought I should take it. Um, before we talk about this week's uh, movie, let's talk about what else you guys have been watching. Um, I would like to lead off this week because I have kind of a weird thing, um, and it also starts with a question: Have you guys done any online events? Have you watched any like live shows stuff like, like like not like not like a normal Twitch thing, but like uh, we usually do this in real life, but we've gone to an online like a streaming stream version. concert or something. Yeah, a concert or a play or something of that nature. Mm. Uh, I've definitely seen I've definitely there's been moments where it's been on and then I just navigate away. <laughs> but I guess yeah, did, you watch, did you watch the Emmys? That's basically that. No, no, I did not watch. the. I mean, I don't watch the Emmys normally, no. you know, no. I took um, a- well. I took a okay. Zoom cooking class. Oh yeah, um, how was that? It was funnish, you know. Like the, the <laughs> Zoom was the Zoom was broken in a hundred different ways, and it had this like really cringy thing where it was fifteen minutes late, and then instead of like you know Bonnie Morales from Kachka showing up to show us how to cook Russian food, it's the CEO of the company that put this on, like in his bedroom, oh. apologizing. It was so sad. <laughs> it made me want to die, and his yeah, and then. <laughs> What made it even worse is that as he was like wrapping up the apology, he's like, yeah, I guess we're having the same problem we were having last time. And I guess it oh, that's the worst. Week. Yes. Just don't you say had... that there was a problem last time. Oh, there's, man. There's something too depressing to me about like Internet facsimiles of real mm-hmm. things. Like yeah. it just really Great. drives home the post-apocalyptic. Like, I don't know. It just reminds me of like. Oh yeah, I can't wait till we're all living in our bunkers and just going to VO <laughs> concerts. It's just <laughs> I I have uh, not done a lot of it, but we my wife and I decided for uh, a fun date night last weekend to enjoy Shakespeare no longer in the park. 
So there's a group here in LA that does a yeah, an isn't annual that just a depressing sentence though. Well, like, let me wait wait until you hear the details because it is way stranger than you would have imagined. So it's they normally do a free Shakespeare in Griffith Park every year. It's called the Independent Shakespeare Company. And this year they had to move it online, but they decided to sort of embrace the idea of being online. Um so uh what they 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 were doing uh Romeo and Juliet and they because there's like one brief mention of a plague in that play. So they thought that was perfect. Um, so doing Romeo and Juliet, but they decided to modernize it. So instead of them, like Romeo and Juliet falling in love on the streets of Verona, they are like DMing on Instagram. No. So it, they, uh, yeah, the Marcusios uh, and the stabbing happens at a Boba tea place. And it's like straight up modern times. Wait, so are they like changing Zoom backgrounds or like all the actors in their own? Well, are they all in the same set? Like, so the during the party scenes to keep everybody from getting COVID, they're in. They're all filmed separately, and then they're in like a Brady Bunch style grid, pretending they can see each other, but kind of stylized. But then, obviously, Romeo and Juliet have to actually kiss at some point, and so they are then in the same place. I thought it was going to be mostly live with a little bit of pre-taped because they said it would be a mix, but it was actually exclusively pre-recorded. So basically, they just made a movie. But then the one thing that was live was that they had a fake Zoom gossip vlog about Verona and the celebrities therein. And he was live. And to prove that he was live, he would read the current score of the Lakers game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's like holding up the newspaper to prove that it's today. You know, he was just like, well, the Lakers are winning in the third quarter, 102 to 95. Anyway, this Romeo fella is sure wearing a great outfit at this party. Um, it is. It was more than a little silly, but one of the things that I had gotten excited about was that they were using the internet. So one thing they did was you could follow Mercutio on Twitter and you could sign up for emergency texts from the city of Verona, which I kind of love the idea of. And then they just basically gave up on it. So like Mercutio tweets twice and then gets stabbed. And it's like, why did I even set up this whole list just to have this one guy die right away? Like I didn't, I, I forgot he died so fast. This actually reminds me of like sleep no more, but like a yeah. real poor version of it. Yeah. It, it what they should have gone all the way and integrated like Twitch comments and like had people be able to like spam yeah. F if you want Mavuccio to live, you know, yeah. like change the plot in real time. That would I, have been something. I think, yeah, exactly. I think if you went all the way into it, there's a way that this ends up being great. And if you do it just a tiny bit, it's silly. The worst part, though, is if you add phones, if you add them doing Instagrams and stuff, the whole point, like the, the main turning point of Romeo and Juliet is that Romeo doesn't know Juliet is pretending to be dead yeah. because he didn't receive the letter that was carried to his house. Well, I mean, that's like, you know, a whole subgenre of like um, th- ways of sort of analyzing stories is like, you ever do that game of like, what stories could not exist in a world of cell phones? Right, and right, right, right. Juliet is always one of them. hundred percent. It's the mean one. It's like if she's just like, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look dead, but don't stab yourself. I'm not dead." Text. Yeah. The end. The, the movie just like works out, and then they're they're just two thirteen year olds boning in another country. Yeah, they should have modernized it and had it instead of them killing themselves, they like delete the Instagram. <laughs> you know, like 
have them, They're like, socially I dead. Like the, I feel like the stakes don't really match up, yeah. though, right? Like, it just doesn't you, feel... You're not a 13-year-old. Yeah, I'm not a millennial, or I'm not a zillennial, I should say. I am. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, uh, they, they, like, the way they did it was, I told you you could get emergency texts from the city, so I signed up for the emergency broadcast from Verona, and all it was was, it's really hot, it's knocking out cell signals all over the city, the end. <laughs> so that was their thing, was like, they text for the first half, and then the second half they can't, and so for some reason, though, in the reality of this world, they handwrite letters and have other people courier them to people as their way of dealing with the internet being down. Um it is it was it's some weird choices. It was a fascinating Yeah, it's, it's one weird. of those like uh this if you're gonna do a story like that, you have to put in a scene when like Romeo slips with his phone in his pocket and breaks the screen. Well, that's what you I know? thought. Like, gotta... He totally he drops it in a in a toilet and then he can't yeah. text the rest of the movie. Yeah, you gotta work in some kind of excuse to get well, rid of his, technology. Wouldn't he, wouldn't he be on his parents' plan and then because they're mad at him, they oh, just like... Yeah, that would also work. Right? Yeah. yeah, totally. They're like, we're taking your phone away. Your, your dad has turned off until you agree to marry this other girl. Yeah. That's you know, such a good... Th- this sounds silly, but in defense of this whole thing, as you're describing it, there's a centuries-long tradition of Shakespeare adaptations being totally. really stupid. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. They're they just falling in line with that. I did watch a 1930s set, uh, uh, um, Othello, a couple years ago in Portland that was like surprisingly good, but it didn't understand. I didn't know why they were dressed like it was the 30s. I'm, I'm so open to this modernization idea, mainly because the idea of them falling in love so fast is kind of silly if they're talking. But over DM, it kind mm. of makes sense. Mm. Right. Yeah. I actually yeah, I buy it. I buy that part. And I do think you're like, you could have, there's a Twitter thing going on to show, like a Twitter beef to show uh, the the um, the two families fighting is like, it was over a Twitter thing. I would buy that. I could imagine them swiping at each other. Well, they just didn't. Well, you know, it's, it's one of those, Romeo and Juliet is one of those stories as well that like, you can like look look at it like through history, and it's like clockwork. We get an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet about every eight to ten years, right? You know, so like we're going to get that version of yeah. the movie eventually, right? I like did that. like the one where they had guns. That one was kind of fun. Yeah, the Bar- yeah. I mean, the Bar- Loman one. Yeah. Roman, yeah. Yeah, 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 they spin the guns really cool. It made me almost want guns, like yeah. not with bullets in them, but I wanted to spin them around and then misunderstand what the drugs are quick means, you know. Um, all right, so that's my. I took a long time, but what, uh, Nevin? What else have you been watching recently? Oh, I've I've been trying to get into the rhythm of watching stuff, you know, since we're stuck at home anyway. Um, right. You, I, you uh, also you have uh, you have the the little ones, which makes this a very different period of time for the rest of us. Yeah, it's you know it's 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 uh, it's rewarding. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I. Uh, I'm I'm really into uh, the 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 Safdie brothers. So you may have seen Uncut Gems, uh, yeah. you know, uh, earlier. Um, and recently, I watched their first movie, Daddy Long Legs, which um, is like uh, like the movie we're about to discuss. It's like a it's like a sweaty New York movie, and I love a sweaty oh. New York movie. And then I watched another sweaty New York movie, After Hours, by Scorsese, which I hadn't seen until recently. Super oh, yeah. good. That movie fucking rules, yeah. Isn't it awesome? And it's also so sweaty and so New York. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I just really like that. I, yeah, uh, this is like sweat punk New York. I like that a lot. 
Um, I would not have described Dog Day Afternoon as a sweaty New York movie, but that's absolutely what it is. Yeah, yeah. I would never yeah. have come up with that. You, you have the like the the variety of New York characters, right? Both yes. like ethnicities and oh, like people who are so weirdos, and yeah. yeah, and that's how that's how both Dying Lives and After Hours are. Uh, it's sweaty, right? It's hot. It's Dog Day Afternoon is called Dog Day Afternoon, right? Super hot day. Yeah. Um, and uh, and After Hours is if you haven't seen it, it was it Anthony that said he saw it, or yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like the one one night where everything goes wrong, right? Everything just falls apart. Then and mm. and the, our movie today also has that quality of like starting kind of like okay, you know what's <laughs> happening, and then by the end, it's just a complete car wreck. Yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. This is that's a great recommendation. I still have not seen Uncut Gems, and I feel like I'm still, even though it's been a while since it came out, every day somebody on Twitter is like, "If you haven't seen this, you suck." So well, you do suck. Yeah, I feel bullied about not seeing Uncut Gems more than anything I would love else. I to watch you watch that. <laughs> really? I feel like you would, be, you would be just as good as the movie, honestly. <laughs> just yeah. you dig it? Oh, that would be great. Yeah, you, you hate I would not people like about... No, you hate movies in which people might get in trouble. You would be on the... You would be very tense the entire you film. You're going to hate dog. You're going to straight up puke. I also really yeah. like bloody noses and he has a bloody nose on the cover. And I think that's 90% of why I haven't seen this yet. It's going to be just rough. Like, the cover is so gross. Like, why would you use that poster? It's like, you're trying to get me to not watch it. It really looks like just a, it's a, it looks like it's a movie about Adam Sandler and the climate is too dry for him. That yeah. looks like the whole Alex, you, uh, I, I don't know if I've ever said this, but I, I'm so happy that you are not in focus groups for marketing things, just because if they went by your opinions on things. I, would... I think this is actually really good advice that Netflix should have known, is that if they made a less bloody picture, more people would watch this movie. It's just too gross. I think you really are hurting yourself. I did one time do a focus group for a drinkable yogurt brand, and I think I was pretty funny in that, but I got like 80 bucks, so that's why I did it. I recommend it if you like if I don't know if you can do it anymore. Oh, I love but, stuff. But it, there's it, like a there's a food innovation lab in Portland. that's like 80 bucks to come and they'll give you some drinkable product. Uh, and then you're like, well, it looks kind of gross on the bottle. And I was like, in the, hmm. I was in the focus group for three Pixar movies, which until recently, they would always test in the Portland market. Oh, um, we went to the, the, the famous screening of, yeah. uh, of um, uh, the robot. Uh, Wally. Wally, you went to the famous Wally screening. I didn't go to Wally. Oh, I went. Okay. I went to Toy Story three, to John Carter from Mars, and to oh. something else. I forget. Yeah, I went and saw uh, Jungle Book a year before oh. it came out, in which it- only five of the effect shots were finished. So it yeah, was all. Weird. It was mostly just like this kid with standing next to a big bear puppet with Bill Murray's voice coming out of it. It was. Oh. So weird. <laughs> oh, I want to see that so bad. Yeah, so that was, was cool. The Wally screening was half finished. So the first half looked great, and the second half was just like the um, what uh, animatics, whatever that is, just like yeah. the outlines. Um, and then occasionally a character would be finished, and they would like roll through the shot. It was so strange. That was my first job after college. Is I was at a temp agency, and they're like, "We need someone to stand in front of this." Uh, popcorn line at this free screening and tell people to get their free popcorn and uh, it, and then the guys from Disney were huge dickheads to us yeah I would they, imagine they would randomly fire a temp for no reason they like 
they had a bunch of us do like a math quiz. And then the one who was best at math was in charge of going in and counting the available seats. Like okay. it was the most power trip bullshit I've ever dealt with. <laughs> they made my wife and I take different lunch breaks so that we could not talk because they figured out we knew each other. Like <laughs> arbitrary bullshit. And my job, so I'm standing there in front of the popcorn line. My job is to say, get your popcorn before you go in. And if I, if he walked by me and I wasn't saying it, he would fire me. And, and so even though the line's not moving, I'm just saying to the same person's face, look, I'm so sorry. You heard him. Uh, you have to get your popcorn before you go in, get your popcorn before you go in, get your pop. And then the guy would come by and he would like stare at me and watch me do it and then leave. It was insane. It was the weirdest you gotta, thing I've you ever have to remember when situations like this, that dickhead who was mean to you, if he went back to his boss with low test numbers, then an even bigger dickhead oh, was going right. to be mean to him. And then yeah. that guy was going to have to talk to an even bigger dickhead. And it just, <laughs> you know, goes on forever. Yeah, that's so true. I like that all of this was so that you could go in to see like a sweet story where people learn lessons yeah. about being nice. And, you know, I do. It's funny. I like watch the full movie later and I don't like it. And I think it's because everyone else likes that movie. And I think it's because I just hate that one guy from low, le one low level screener guy from Disney was such a dickhead to me that I was like, the, I, I will not like this. I will You're not tolerate this. You also have the worst taste of any human being to ever live. So, I mean, that's also a part of it. Ugh, ugh, ugh. All right. Um, Hunter, what else have you been watching? Um, so I'm, I'm not going to talk about something I watch, but I am going to talk about um, this game I've been playing uh, oh. with uh, a lot, actually, with with a lot of other people on the Internet. Um, it's called Among Us. It's actually a yeah. game that came out like in 2018 that inexplicably got super popular like a week ago. Maybe not even a week oh, ago. This is those, those lumpy characters that are all over, that have just like ruined the meme yeah. world. Yeah, so it's sort of... Um, Please explain this to me. Oh, I'm so stoked you're talking about this. What? Who are these? What is happening? What's so going on? The way the game works, it's, it's essentially like, um, sort of like the movie The Thing, um, where you all work, uh, you're all like scientists, I guess. I guess they're scientists. Yeah, or like they're scientists. Mechanics. And and you're at like a station and there's a bunch of things that have gone wrong at that station. You have a bunch of you you work here and when the game starts, you have a bunch of tasks that you need to get done. And the tasks are all like little mini games and they're just kind of just kind of stupid time fillers. But the game isn't really about that. The game is about the fact that um some of the people that work at this station with you are actually imposters, and if you get in a room alone with them, they will kill you. Um, oh shit! The whole thing is every time uh, someone gets killed, if another player finds that body, they can call a meeting where they, everyone talks about what they've seen. Ooh, and I've skipped over the most important part. Um, you're all playing. This is a game that's best played with your friends, by the way. This isn't a very. Okay. I don't know how this game plays if you're playing with a bunch of strangers on the internet, but it's perfect for like a group of people that already know each other. But one of the main rules of the game is while everyone is uh, at the station uh, going around doing their little menial tasks, they cannot speak. There's no speaking, and literally a little little guy comes up to shush you um, from not speaking until there is a meeting called, and then once a meeting is called, then everyone can talk about it, and it's very much. Um, it's very much like the thing. Like it's like people accuse each other, or it's like a game like uh, if you've ever played Mafia or yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It sounds like one of those part like like debate uh, club overnight party games where yeah, you're like, like actually, Alex, you remember that time we played Secret Hitler and you were you were actually now that I think about it, this would be fun to play with you, Alex, because it feels like you this type of game kind of gets to you a little bit. These like hidden I, role accuse people of stuff game. Well, I, it's also this a is little so bit stressful. Like, 
This a game, little bit like Spy Pony S, yeah, sort yeah. of like you know, it's about how well you can blend in as being a um, a non-imposter. And it also, I I think like we sh- you should mention that it has. If you haven't seen it, it's got this really c- clean, top-down, almost like sixteen-bit aesthetic to it. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a free book. free mobile game. Uh, you can check it out. It's definitely pretty cool. Huh. Yeah, I got I, it on uh, Steam on PC, and it's like five bucks. So it's like not yeah. much of an investment, and it's very fun. And lots of people are playing it right now. It's very popular. Um, why did it pop up out of nowhere? Do you guys know? I don't if know. It, I actually, this is two years old. Why did it just just get popular? I saw someone wrote an article as to why. I think it's just like some streamers on Twitch picked it up, and it just uh, kind of got sort of word of mouth popular, yeah. or not really word of mouth, word of internet, word of word of comment popular and yeah i don't know it everyone so with my other podcast uh space cats peace turtles which is about a a silly board game um a silly complicated board game that takes like 10 hours to play for some reason this game has completely captured the audience of my other podcast and they are all playing this they play this 24 7 (laughs) i'm like i guess they don't have jobs i didn't know what their employment status is with life. I guess none of them have jobs because they are constantly playing. I can't even get them to play the board game anymore. I'm, I'm going to go bankrupt because <laughs> of how much they are now just obsessed with this. Among Why don't you have a, an Among Us podcast? I guess it's going to have to be an Among Us podcast because I'm telling you, I can pull it up right now on my Discord. And yeah, there's a, there's like literally 24-7, there's a group of at least uh, 10 people playing uh this game and normally there's like several groups playing at once uh so it's like very popular with uh i would say hidden role games in general where one person is a betrayer is very popular with board game people so the fact there's this very easy convenient video game you can play that simulates that type of game it's very popular with board gamers so if you're a board gamer and you're listening to this and you're kind of bummed that you can't go over to other people's houses uh this is a very good um, replacement for now so uh, i think it's a i think it's really fun it's it's a silly game it's not like you know i mean i'm it's maybe kind of uh, not to actually you know what they did announce today that they're going to start adding a bunch of stuff to the game so i was about to call it a fad but it might not be a fad actually it might this game might keep uh growing and expanding so i don't know but uh yeah, very fascinating. never sure. are you in, in your corner of the video game world are people like do people get freaked out when something like this pops up out of nowhere and gets hugely popular? Um, I think among game developers, it's sort of understood that there's a, there's a lottery factor to it. Just like oh, with hit pop songs or with, you yeah. know, whatever. Just that everybody's aware that, you know, you can do things well and whatnot. But on some level, it's just going to be luck. Um, so, yeah. Everybody hopes to nail that. And, of course, you can do things to, you know, make it more likely. But... It's just yeah, what it must be weird hard. working at a company where you put out a game and it's like moderate and bubbling along for two years, and then for reasons you don't understand, it becomes the right. most popular game everyone's playing. Well, I just I I just read today that they had been working on a sequel and they're canceling the sequel now because yeah, they had to oh. focus their work on the main game. Oh, which, you know, because of the popularity, uh, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that people want and that it needs. So they have Interesting. to it seems like a sequel would be like this would be well timed if you're like everyone loves this game but and the new one is coming out in a week. But yeah, there's no guarantee people are going to follow you to right. the sequel. Right. So like 
just perfect and refine the game people yeah. are already playing makes a lot more sense than like yeah. diluting the market with a second game that might yeah. not, you know, Especially catch Considering more. that for most everybody, this game just came out, even though it did. Yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? It's too early. Yeah. It's way too early. Yeah. Fascinating. All right, Anthony, bring yeah. us home for this. All right, cool. I've always wanted to do one of these. <laughs> okay. Okay. This week. <laughs> Wait, what? Wait, just, just hold on. Hold on. You're I'm doing, ready. A, I'm doing a bit. Okay. This week, I uh, I watched this movie last night. This critically acclaimed, really influential movie made by a legendary director starring Al Pacino uh, involving a heist that goes uh-huh. wrong. <laughs> and, and then it ends at an airport when one of the, <laughs> where the second lead gets shot and it's very sad. It's but probably really hot, right? But enough <laughs> about heat. Let's talk about <laughs> Yeah, but enough uh, about heat. Let's talk yeah. about Dog Day Afternoon. No, That's I um. Good bit, I'm sorry we stepped on your toes. No, boom goes the dynamite, as they say when you do that joke. Um, I but no. So my my you, wife had never seen either of these movies, Heat or Dog Day Afternoon. So we did a double feature last night, which oh, uh, yeah. was really great. Uh, I forgot just how long he is. So it was like a six hour <laughs> double feature. Um, but uh, yeah, so she had never seen either of these. And, it, you know, they're one, I, you know, watching it, I was kind of amazed that the similarities, like the fact that they both literally end at airports. Uh, oh. They both have, you know, about these heists and all this stuff. Um, but the reason why we chose these two is because besides when she's never seen them, I was, you know, they're both classics. But what we were trying to do was sort of just, think about the long arc of Pacino's career and sort of like, well, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it when we get to dog day, but his performance in dog day afternoon is one of my, probably my, I think his best performance he's ever put in. And he's put in a lot of great performances. And yeah. It's fascinating. It's so restrained and mellow and like real and lived in all these things that Pacino used to be really known for. And then, you know, during the nineties and winning the Oscar for scent of a woman, he started to go really, really, really big. And yeah. heat, I think is like the best performance of him being in that, you know, she had a great ass, you know, like that. <laughs> that Pacino almost Uh, almost like uh almost like he's trying to do a b-movie version of himself right yeah or just uh him on a lot of cocaine I don't know what it was Uh, Um, very possible but he is you know like it's just a different performance and like the character in heat calls for something very different than dog day afternoon so I think that's a part of it as well but almost like he's doing Nick Cage's version of of Al Pacino like that level of just like I'm just gonna yell more what people always talk about is like you know he he put in you know Oscar worthy um act performances year after year after year and never got one until scent of a woman in which he went really big so it was like we kind of we kind of rewarded the big Pacino. So he was like, well, I guess that's what people like. Um, so he, I think, I think Al Pacino's best performance, by the way, has got to be the Jack and Jill. Oh, Dunkin' Donuts commercial. Yeah. yeah. The Dunkin' Chino. Yeah. The that Dunk was, Chino that was course, really where yeah. he peaked. I mean, that is definitely up there. Um, <laughs> I put that right behind the Godfather two personally. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so it was cool. You know, my wife, my wife had never seen either of them. Like I said, and what, we what, did you do them in, in, in order of when they were released? 
Yeah, we did them back to back. We watched Dog Day first, but, but and we watched Heat. Did, right yeah, because if you um, want, because it, it's fun because he went from being like a young criminal to an old cop. Like he switches sides. Yeah, and it's you know it's the, all these sort of things, all the similarities. It is funny to watch it. Like I think this was heightened because we had just watched Dog Day Afternoon, in which these criminals are like kind of bumbling and you know very amateurish. But from like the first thirty seconds of Heat. I just leaned over my wife and I was like, man, these guys are fucking professional. Like, there's something <laughs> yeah. about the hyper-competency. Uh, yeah, it wasn't like, isn't the thing in Heat where he's like, "You have, we have 92 seconds to get done, whereas yeah, yeah, in Dog's Afternoon, he's like, this will take about a half hour to finish yeah. this robbery. Uh, yeah, the whole, you know, these people who don't have anything in their lives they can't walk away from in 30 seconds flat, kind of, yeah. you know? Um but yeah, you know, and like, I, I'm a big fan of Michael Mann. I'm a big fan of Sinley Lamette. So it was fun to see, like, also, you know, watching these two movies back to back. It's just like, we talk a lot about creative inflation on this podcast, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it is just these two movies. You can just feel the, 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 the they are the giants that so many other movies stand on. Like my wife, especially watching Heat, she was like, I cannot believe how much of The Dark Knight uh, oh yeah, movie uh, is and just like how you know it. Uh, it's just that movie's so wildly influential. And Dog Day Afternoon has a lot of that same thing when it's just like you can feel. Oh, this is where that trope came from. This is where this sort of thing came from. Uh, but yeah, yeah. it's a really it's a long double feature. Uh, Dog yeah. Day Afternoon, <laughs> is a, a little over two hours. Uh, Heat is two hours and fifty minutes long. Uh, but if you are looking for like a really good way to spend five hours, uh, I would definitely suggest watching those two back to back. It's a good. Can I ask? Can I ask you guys a super stupid question that I yes, probably could have googled, yes. but I have just all oh, I've wondered oh, forever and never actually that. solved, which is when you look up a running time of a movie, mm-hmm. what does that include? Everything. <laughs> does that include the Credit. credits? Yes. yes. Yeah. Does it include trailers? No. 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 So if I, what? No. <laughs> the reason. Okay. How, look, how, but how I feel like trailers. Let, let's just work it out. How could it include the trailers? Well, I just feel like when you look up a running time before you go to a movie, it would. It feels so like intentionally misleading if you're going to be a half hour later to leave that theater. No, that's yeah. no. no <laughs> it is, but that's what they. You know, but. Yeah, the running I'll, I'll time is misleading. I'll agree that it's misleading because there's a there was a place in Portland. I forget which theater it was, but I remember every time I would go there, it just felt like that they would load it up with every. They were like, "Oh, yeah. we got them here. Let's load them up with trailers. Let's show up every movie that's coming out over the next year because we got yeah. them." And yeah. it would be like thirty minutes. But I mean, yeah. that, the thing is though that no one is advertising that as the runtime. They say the the runtime is the movie is from the second the movie begins till the film ends credits and all right. uh but yeah that is, is there is there a longer cut of dog day afternoon out there no uh, no okay because the reason I, one of the reasons i was thinking about this was because my wife was like hey actually i don't have time to watch this with you tonight it's over two and a half hours and i loaded it up and i was like actually the file is only two hours and four minutes or whatever and she had seen an internet thing that's so maybe she's just reading a different place but i thought yeah. maybe that is include like the internet one includes trailers or something stupid i don't know no, i was trying to come up with a reason someone just mispitting the time okay okay yeah, thank you for that no thank you. there's one cut of this film 
Great. Okay, so let's talk about this. So today's topic is Dog Day Afternoon, the 1975 film directed by Sidney Lumet. Lumet? I want to say Lumet, Lumet, but I'm sure it's... Lumet. Yeah, I'm sure it's not. Lumet, uh, who got Oscar nominations for this, as well as 12 Angry Men and Network yeah. and a couple other things. Yeah, what, um, one, of, one of the best. Just Yeah, apparently. Well, I, mean, I mean, he's one of those directors who is like... Um, I. I've seen a lot of his movies, but I don't know anyone who has seen all of his movies because he's one of those guys who was so prolific. Like he was one of those uh, directors who basically released the movie a year. Uh, but oh, if wow. you look at his like, you know, when you think of my wife and I were talking about this last night, the fact that like I didn't know I knew he made 12 Angry Men. I didn't know that was his first movie. And that really floored me thinking about that. Like it doesn't feel like a directorial debut. It feels like a movie that is a director who's been working for decades would make. Um, but yeah, he's super interesting. I would definitely, the ones you mentioned, uh, 12 Angry Men, Dog Day Afternoon, Network, uh, I think are three of the best movies of their time periods. Uh, and then and I, I want to throw one out. I want to throw one out that I don't really watch, which is Fail, which one? Fail Safe. Have you ever seen Fail Safe? Oh, Fail Safe. So good. That's a kick ass why did it have to come out so close to Dr. Strangelove? Yeah. Came out like within three months. They're very similar movies. Oh, interesting. Fail Safe is great, but it got buried because Strangelove comes out like within three months and they're very similar topically. And so right. only one could live. Yeah. Um, that's great. But now, but now, you know, it's, it's so past that. So we can just watch it both yeah. and enjoy yeah. it. Fail Safe is really cool because it's like a realistic uh, nuclear war scenario between oh. the US and the Soviet Union. And it's pretty scary. It's, it's pretty yeah. freaky. But yeah, it, I mean, it so you would say if you had a choice to live in a nuclear war or not, you would go for not. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I would go for not. But it, it is very similar to Strange Love. It's just not. It's not funny. Like Strange Love right. has like this like goofy aspect to it that Failsafe doesn't really do oh, yeah. at all. He's literally, a really, shit at you. he's a really interesting director to sort of look through his filmography, and he is like, I think he's like, it's cool to cover him at this point in this this series because it gets into a lot of things that we've talked about before of what makes a good director a director like he is someone who doesn't have necessarily the most like visually distinctive style like most of his movies are shot very very naturally but the main thing or like when i think of cindy lament i think he's a great example of like showing how a director blocks a scene like his mm. movies are so well blocked, and a lot of that becomes to like the way he makes movies is he has you know two or three week rehearsal periods, like really dedicated rehearsal periods where oh. he, he'll like rent a ballroom and then they'll tape out all the sets with tape on the floor, and then they will just rehearse the entire movie like it's a play for weeks. And he'll figure out all the blocking and where the camera is going to go during that time. So that when he's filming, he can just go really fast. Did um, he? So I did notice on his filmography because he did. We mentioned 12 Angry Men, which I know was a play. And he also like the Iceman Cometh is on there, which is a play. Equus, right? which is a big thing for Equus. me. Yeah, Chris, yeah. yeah, the the the, the, the horse, horse play, the horse movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, is, so was he? Did he actually do theater, or he just liked theater and did theater movies? Like, if that makes sense, I, did he do? I don't know if he actually directed theater. I know he he got like he would work like almost everyone in this movie, Dog the Afternoon, is a theater actor. Uh, yeah, interesting. And a lot of them knew each other through theater, like the uh, the head bank teller 
the I forget her name, but the female who doesn't want to leave because the girls are still in there. Dude, she, she is rad as hell. Yeah, I like her so much. She's yeah. a theater actress who Al Pacino lived with in his early twenties. This is uh, like, Penelope Allen is the is yeah, the actress. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, everyone in the cast is like that. But he really liked to work with those types of actors, uh, specifically yeah. because they you know they would like respond so well to weeks of rehearsal, which is something that, you know, some directors do that, but it's not a lot that really spend that amount of time, like doing, you know, getting every performance down and letting people sort of, you know, improvise a lot during rehearsal, but not improvise during filming. Like you just really pound it out and get it up on its feet during rehearsals. That when you're filming, you can just like knock it out. It's very just, unique way to approach filmmaking which i've always yeah enjoyed. it's super interesting so the um just to round out the cast so obviously starring alfredo james pacino but also um john cazale uh and his yeah. fascinating fascinating hairline uh charles durning and then a small part for kimmy schmidt's landlord carol kane yeah um, and also um, a very small uh role for lance hendricks uh lance he Henry- hendrickson right hendrickson, hendrickson. yeah yeah, yeah, he has a very small, super small role in this movie. Uh, uh, what, what is? Who is he? He's the uh, FBI agent. Oh, he's the driver at the end. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, he's okay. in, like, you know, he's an alien. Boy, trust that guy. Yeah. Well, unless that he's is... an android, then he's okay. He's oh, okay. okay. He's an android. I don't feel like I. I feel like that would be like, and I've had a lot of bad rides to the airport but that guy is up there with the worst drivers i've seen um very slow which i enjoy not in a hurry but secret guns man okay so um this was selected for us by nevin nevin um why did this jump into your mind uh when we were talking about movies to watch um i think i was in the sweaty new york frame of mind just because of mm-hmm. the other two movies i mentioned after hours and uh and Ladley long legs um i'm a big fan of lumet i also think of him as like the great american director given like the breadth of his career and like how much solid work is in there i don't know what specifically when you asked me you know popped us to the top of my list i think i was looking for things to re-watch if that makes sense totally i thought it'd make it easier on me if it was something yeah. i'd seen before and yeah. it had been like 15 years since i'd seen this so i figured i'd cheat a little and just watch it again um yeah and uh, th- the other thing is I, I thought you would genuinely enjoy it i hope you did i was just 100 percent. holy oh, cow and normally i try to yeah. play it a little closer to the vest but sometimes with the movie like this is just this was this was yeah, a fucking delight wild if you didn't like this is such a universally likable movie i think um yeah i could uh, definitely see that we, it, we it, keep bringing up the sweatiness can i tell you uh my favorite fact i learned please. about this movie uh sydney lament uh hand applied all the sweat in this movie <laughs> what you don't yeah. have like a sponge pa no so they do but he thinks that they always overdo it or underdo it and because <laughs> his i was listening to this interview with him talk about um how on 12 angry men uh the the makeup artist could never get the the sweat to look how he wanted to so he really learned how to do that properly He's so the great he, American micromanager. Yeah, so you know, he just specifically figured out how to like sweat. Make, get the sweat he likes. So he's like, "Oh no, I I ha- I'll handle the sweat." But yeah, Sydney Lamets <laughs> did all the sweat effects. American great American sweat expert. 
which is so fucking hilarious. That is really interesting. Yeah, it's super sweaty. Um, it's a I, combination of glycerin and water, apparently. Oh, what, what he said is the secret to getting that good sweat um, effect. That sounds gross. I don't want you to pour glycerin and water all over my head, but at least we only have to do the one take. Alex, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that that reminds me of another fact. Uh, so the movie is supposedly takes place on a super hot Brooklyn day, right? And they're yeah. sweaty because the AC is off and everything. The movie was actually shot in winter, and even though it was clear, it was actually below freezing for many of the scenes. <laughs> a lot of the crowd scenes outside, actually, they had to. I, I read that they were putting like ice cubes in the in the actors' mouths so that they wouldn't like. Have have steam coming out of their mouth when they speak what? it was so cold yeah whoa that what a terrible extra job is where you're cold and then they also put ice cubes in your mouth and glycerin on and your glycerin your, oh my god wow that is that is art for that sure that is like maybe I, I feel like maybe they just they were wanting to go too fast on this it's like can we wait for <laughs> like do we need for like two weeks yeah <laughs> um yeah i that because there's a lot of extras too there's so much going on in that street scene to have that many people outside not allowed to be visibly breathing uh that's amazing um so this let me give you for people who have not seen the movie let me give you uh alex falcone's patented three sentence summary of the movie dog day afternoon here is what this movie is about okay uh two very polite young men rob a bank in brooklyn and despite being very careful about alarms are quickly blockaded in the building by an insane overreaction from the nypd A tense but upbeat hostage standoff unfurls where the friendlier of the two robbers wins over the crowd. And then, um, I don't know, I guess this one feels like, I don't know if I pause aside, not still in that sentence, two Uh is still continuing. This is cheating. I know, no, but I have to ask you guys, I feel like part, I mean, we have to talk about the thing, but I also feel bad if you had not seen it, having the thing revealed for you is so good. His motivation for. Yes, we have to talk about it though. All right. And the show doesn't work if we don't. Yeah. Okay, great. Let me go back to sentence two. Um, uh, Where the friendlier of the two robbers wins over the crowd and eventually reveals that his main motivation for the robbery was to get the money for his trans partner, Leroy, to get gender confirmation surgery. Sentence three. Oh, Leon. So sorry. Leon. Um, Not looking at it when I wrote that down. Um, Sentence three. The cops agree to give the men a jet to Algeria, but in the last moment, a tricksy FBI agent yells surprise and shoots the other one in the head. It's uh, it's just like a real moral lesson in not trusting uh, the cops while you're in the middle of a standoff. Like they, they're going to make a deal with you, but they're always going to renege every single yeah, they're, time. They're never going to let you on that plane. Like yeah, that I mean, there's no way that was ever going to happen, right? I'm, I mean, I uh, like their commitment to getting a plane to shoot you in front of it so that you feel the saddest. Well, no, it's like where... I mean, also the fucked up thing is like, okay, it's way easier to murder someone essentially in cold blood on a tarmac rather than a group of people. That's Uh, true. Especially in terms of a bunch of protesters there as you become sort of like a metaphor for like a bigger cultural issue. Um, Yeah. But yeah, so it's, you know, it's like, oh, let's take them to someplace nice and secluded and very loud to murder them. Uh, (laughs) It's a lot easier than doing it here. I, I yeah, they're but they're just they're just they're fibbers. That's the thing about the yeah. FBI is they are fibbers. They will fib they, to your face. They are indeed fibbers. Um, I so I, I I appreciate. I should have asked ahead of time that little aside. But one of the things is that this movie is it's a really fun heist movie, and it's very funny throughout. 
Um, but it is not what I was expecting at yeah. any point. And well, that also, don't forget, we should mention that this is based off a true story. This absolutely happened. Yes, a, yes, this the, is a real a real robbery that happened. This was made like a year after it happened. This was a yeah. quick turnaround for a real event that happened in the early seventies in New York. Uh, and, John, because uh, the real character's name isn't Sonny; it's John something. Yeah, John John Boy, um, Johnny but, Boy. But he. Um, when he sold the rights to his life story to make this movie, he used that money to get uh, e- Eden, his actual partner's real name, the gender confirmation surgery that she needed. Yes, yeah, so uh, they actually so- it actually did happen, which is a little yeah. bit um, positive. Although I do not recommend a ton of reading about the real story because it's mostly sad. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the Specifically the guy played by the bad hairline um, John who Cooley. is shot. Yeah, so he, he the real character of that guy is 18 years old, 17 or 18, and he was participating in the robbery because his um he had a kid who had been taken by uh protective services and needed money to help get them back uh and then was yeah. killed in that robbery. I mean, it's that, sad. That was another thing that sort of like um what I found really interesting doing research about this movie is that they really did not want to even audition John Kazeel, uh originally because he's, you know, the kid's supposed to be like this 18 year old, beautiful person. And John Kazeel is the saddest looking 35 year old to ever live. line is perfectly straight, but yeah. in the middle of the head. Yeah. Uh, but it's, he, it's crazy. He, he was, Al Pacino was really good friends with him and just like really trying to get him on audition and they didn't want to do it. But they said the second he came in, after saying the first line, they were like, this guy is it. He, yeah. he, this dude is perfect. Especially because of like him and Al Pacino already having this like really strong uh, connection and relationship really helps. Yeah, this is like a year after The Godfather, or a couple years after The Godfather. Godfather 2, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was 75, Godfather was 72 yeah. and, and 74. We'll get to, I'm sure, John in a little bit, but like his whole story is so sad and oh, what yeah. an incredible filmography for such a short amount of time that he, he made, made five, movies. five movies, all five just absolute stone cold classics. Everybody loved working with him. Like Meryl Streep was his like number one buddy. Yeah, I mean they were together. Yeah. They were yeah, they were yeah. like going to be engaged to be married. Oh, they were that kind of yeah. buddies. They yeah, were yeah, yeah. Mm. I like, I like number one buddies though. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, he do made... you do you take this man and his weird hairline to be your number one buddy? He he was in five movies. All five got nominated for best picture. They're all like he said, wow. stone cold classics. And then he died of cancer uh, at like forty. Dude, okay, so so it's been brought up his de- his dying of lung cancer though. So I need to talk about that one. There's just that crazy part to me. I've never seen this movie before, uh, but I've I, I've known about uh, John for a while. In fact, I think this is no, no. Actually, I still haven't seen the conversation. I'm a bad boy. But oh, um, conversation, yeah. It's anyway, Anyway, the point is, he he was a chain smoker and died of lung cancer. And it's so that scene where he's telling that one lady not to smoke is so like ice cold, just weird to me. Yeah, it's and well, he's so insistent. It's like it's almost like because knowing that about him, it I don't know. It there's something strange that he's bringing in that where it almost feels like maybe he's like yelling at himself or something. Because I don't know where he's at with that at the point that they were filming that. You know. 
Yeah, I also just feel like we knew a lot about why he was. He wasn't like it wasn't the most crucial plot point. Well, there's there's this thing like watching this movie. I was kind of blown away by the, and this has to be purposeful. But one of my favorite things about it that I hadn't ever realized because, like Nevin, I probably haven't seen this in ten, fifteen years. Um, But there's this running theme or sort of motif, I guess you would say, Alex, uh, of this movie. Would I? No, I wouldn't. Uh, For sure, I uh, wouldn't. He wouldn't but, say that. But there's this uh, recurring motif of characters moralizing other people in really weird situations. Like almost yeah. every scene has a, one character moralizing at someone else. And it goes from like the robbers moralizing, the tellers, the tellers moralizing, the robbers, the cops moralizing everybody yeah, probably my favorite of those is one of the tellers asks him not to swear uh and she says because i'm a christian and my ears aren't garbage cans yeah well, no, that's that's the second time that's when she's that's saying so good when she's telling the other tellers not to swear yes oh right right, right. Uh, and oh so my god that's my favorite thing it's just this recurring thing of like the thing i love about this movie i think about this line a lot uh from this um this 30 for 30 documentary on the, that college lacrosse rape scandal thing. Um, But there's one of the journalists that was being interviewed uh, during that. He said that this story is a, it's a real coat hook story. Like everyone can come and hang whatever they want on it. Oh yeah. Uh, And I've always just loved that tone of phrase and like that metaphor. And I think dog day afternoon is one of these movies that is like, this is such a good example of a coat hook story. There's so many different ends and ways to look at the story and kind of what these characters are going through and what it says about the time period, what it says about today, uh, that there's just, you can, you can look at this movie and no matter where you sort of earn your life, you can get something out of it. Uh, cause it's, it, it has this weird confluence of, you know, not just like cops and criminals and sort of different class structures and, you know, even down to like union, anti-union labor disputes. Yeah. Uh, that was an interesting not, little side note. Not, you know, media representation, the way a crowd watches violence though. Yeah. Know, then, and you then know, on top of that, you have the you know not just the, a gay character, but a trans character being in a movie in the seventies is yeah. such. It's just wild. Yeah, it's, I want to I come back to that in a second. But Nevin, get in here. Oh, I was just going to say with the uh, while it's on my mind when you mentioned the media and the crowd like getting on the side of these robbers, like mm-hmm. they become folk heroes instantly. Yeah. I like that the movie is honest about this. The movie is not one of those like uh, stories where it's like. They were cool robbers and people loved them. So, you know, it's awesome. Because in the very last scene, you have Sonny looking up from the car, you know, where they're arresting him. And all of the tellers who are now done with their Stockholm syndrome are just like not even looking in his direction. Like their adventure is over. Yeah, now they have a story to tell, but they do not give a crap about him as a person anymore totally. or about the fact that Sal just got shot in the head. Totally. Yeah. It's done. Your your fame is over. Like we we had our shared experience, but well, see you it. can look that even like go even back further in the film and the way the crowd reacts to him at, yeah. at uh, the first act, and then once it comes out that he's gay, yeah, yeah. the way the crowd reacts to him then, right? It's yeah. too completely the way you have this like the momentum and the feeling and the idea of like these fucking these rebels and these people going against the norm of robbing a bank. I can get behind that, but he loves a man more than any man has ever loved anybody. 
Uh, and that is like what, you know, like upsets people like this, that. Yeah. And they that, start catcalling him all the time. And yeah, there's that uh, amazing element when um, Leon is giving the sort of monologue in the burger shop or whatever it is where the cops are hanging. And there's just this one cop in the yeah. corner of the frame yeah. who is just That's such a piece life. of shit. Yeah. Uh, but the way it is like, and it's there on purpose because again, like reading and listening to Sidney Lumet talk about this, he really wanted, he was so scared that the audience would laugh or stop taking these characters seriously once this came out. And that's like a part of why that cop is there. Because if you are laughing, you will realize like, oh, I'm that asshole. Right. right. I'm that piece of garbage. And it's like, there's some optimism in thinking that I would actually realize that because most of the people who would laugh at this are not smart enough to notice that they're assholes. But um, I, you know, maybe. Yeah, I think maybe I that element is so interesting and is so uh, like what it, it makes this knowing nothing about it makes it such a surprising movie. Oh, yeah. And it See, adds so much depth to him and, and that character. And especially with the time period. Um, and uh, it also, one of the things what it also adds this element where this movie is hilarious and deeply sad. And sometimes at the same moment. And that's like, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything that did both of those things yeah. so perfectly. What country do you want to go to? Wyoming. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, which is so funny and also so sad about this kid who's never left New York. And also a um improvised line. Something he's just <laughs> he said on the set. It was something else in the script. And he just said Wyoming. It's uh, well and yeah, and also just to to John's credit, how like cause that's such a goofy line to say improvised that he says it's so serious, and then Al is so serious in response about not wanting to like acknowledge that that's sad, and then like referencing it later. Oh, it's so, so good. I want to add since we've done some secret real life details, I want to add one more part of this that I was thinking about that adds to how funny and or how sad this all is, and how interesting that character part is with him and his partner. Is that this is like a like when this the robbery actually happened? It's like a year or two years after the Stonewall riots. Mm-hmm. So this is the very very beginning of of the gay movement in New York, the gay right movement. Well, yeah, I was trying to think like of a, a, a specific part of it, it, but it's recent. It's it's not an advanced uh, cause at this point. It's pretty rough. And one of the things about that, if uh, about Stonewall, is that the Stonewall bar was owned by the mob because gay bars were illegal. So a lot of gay bars were secret mafia joints. So the Gambino crime family owned the bar that the Sonal riots happened in. And one of the things that's probably true that was reported a lot about this actual robbery is that the, they got those weird giant guns and they were told that the delivery of money was happening, which was, they were wrong in the movie, but they never say why he knew that both of those things are because they met, a mobster in a gay bar in New York that told them how to rob this bank and kind of pushed them into it. So there's this element of how making about how like stopping gay rights pushed them into this further criminalized world that caused them to like, think of caused this guy to think of a crime in order to help his partner live the life that she wanted. Like there's this added element of just like of deep sadness to what is going on at the time and why this is happening that I think is so interesting. And I have not, I did not know much about 
Yeah, I mean, the same thing you can you could be almost said about like the way, um, especially with sort of what's going on in the country nowadays. And you talked about the sort of the police overreaction. But I mean, this is the type of movie that I I genuinely believe most people kind of our ages would not know what Attica was. Unless this movie had happened, right? Like it's that brings up a very good uh, moment for me. This is a new segment called Hunter Learns. What is Attica? Because I don't (laughs) know what that is. It's a prison in New York. Sorry, so you didn't, or you still don't? I didn't, and still don't. We have yet. Okay, so this is going to be some on-air learning that Anthony's going to provide. I ooh, let me put my cap on. Yeah. Well, well, I just want to say. how crazy the times have changed. Because when I saw this movie, there was no internet yet, or really like a good searchable one. So I had to go to the library to research what Attica was. Uh, when no I kidding. Home. It took you all day. Yeah. Uh, but no, Attica is a prison in New York. There was a uh, few months or years before this movie takes place. There was a very heinous prison riot, and the cops kind of killed people indiscriminately to so, push down. Yeah, uh, just to add to that, from my research so the as far as the riot it was because of abhorrent conditions in the prison that were killing prisoners it was just they were being treated so abominably and so they had a a riot to take over the prison and demanded a series of reforms in prison to make their lives more bearable and the cops uh the army i believe the national guard maybe anyway they came in and they shot both the prisoners and guards and civilians they just killed a ton of people uh and didn't uh, for for no apparent reason it was and and it's such a perfect fit for this movie where it's a hostage situation and he's saying the cops are going to come in here and they're going to shoot the tellers too they don't give a shit right. yeah and it's... then and then to as use that as a call to the public and get them on either side immediately is like look at these cops overreacting because he they're two guys in a bank which i'm not saying with guns which is not a great situation but they bring in two thousand cops and yeah. every time he appears at the door, thousands of cops are pointing their guns at him, which is not helpful. Like most of those people are only going to kill by Syria. There's no way this is useful or interesting right, or good. Right, right. It is such a crazy reaction from the police. It might not as well because have, like artillery or like missiles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is so. And they're on the roof. They have they have thirty snipers on different positions, and then also all of the beat cops pointing their their service weapons on the ground. Like if you if you have one of these, the rest of you can just chill. Like there's no way you're useful here. <laughs> cop stuff like why what's going on here how many right, cops- yeah yeah the whole of new york is shut down for this thing yeah, i mean he goes out of the way to show you not once not one but two different buses of cops coming yes, in yes it's like there's this there's like you, you see it once and then like 20 minutes later he takes the time to show you another fucking bus of cops coming <laughs> to, to connect it to today uh, yeah. first. So the, the Attica uh, prison uh, riots started, I mean, you know, the, the living conditions were terrible for a long time, but the thing that pushed it over the edge was the death of another uh, black inmate in, in, a, in a different prison. I think it was in oh, yeah. or something. So that, you know, obviously something that we see today, I mean, you know, black people are, you know, treated very poorly by the cops every day but when you have those like inciting events you know then you get something bigger out of it and then the other thing is in the movie um when the when the black guard is released as a released hostage 
what the uh, cops do. Yeah. <laughs> they him, of course. Absolutely. At him because, hey, you know, black dude walking out of the bank. He must yeah. be one of the robbers. Yeah. I, yeah, I, 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 that's why when I asked you why you had selected this, I was wondering if it was intentionally relevant today or like so many things we've watched recently. It just turns out when so much bad shit is happening at the same time, any movie that has a bad thing feels relevant. It's it's it. Uh, America hasn't changed that much since the seventies, right? That's well. That's, that's the. Th- I mean, that's yeah. the thing that kills me. And I'm uh, I I've been mentioning before, but I, I'm my wife and I are finally finishing the Vietnam documentary that's been taking up our last four months. Um, we're at fifteen minutes a day. Um, but like one of the things that's so depressing about stuff from the sixties and seventies is how little progress we've made. Yeah. And it, I, we just, you just in that movie, I just kept getting hit over and over again by things that are like, that's not better. That's not better. That's not better. Oh, it's depressing. And so to have a movie like this that hits like that and then also is so funny. So let's to lighten for a second. Let's go back to just how, like, what a delightful uh, bank robbery this is. Like, yeah. Al, and, and, and also a lot of this is due to Al's uh, pr- performance because he is so interesting from the very beginning of the robbery, the things that he cares about, like he's smart, he's willing to make threats against these pe- people's lives, but is also like, look, I'm not, obviously I have no beef with you and I'm not going to hurt you if I can. And I like somebody in the, he's going to lock all the people in the safe and one must use the bathroom. He's like, Oh, of course I'll let you go to the bathroom. Like, Oh, well now everyone wants to go to the bathroom. So now I can't let you anymore. It's, Hysterical. I laughed so much. Such a like angry dad, angry yes, for five. Right. Well, not yeah. to go to the bathroom, and then ten seconds later, okay, well, uh, I will pull this bank over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even stuff to like, uh, even before that, and like that's another thing about like sort of, I think a filmmaker like Sidney Lumet and like the way he his naturalistic approach to filmmaking is like there's stuff like the the gun getting caught on the string on the package yes yes was an accident that wasn't supposed to happen that just happened on the first take sorry so he's he's carrying his gun he's got a long rifle type gun and he's bringing it to the bank in a flower box so it's a long box that's like wrapped with a ribbon and it gets caught in the ribbon when he's opening it which absolutely would happen it's such a normal thing to happen it's one of those things like as a filmmaker when you see an accident like that knowing like that was magical we can't get yes. better than that you yes know? And, like embracing that type of stuff such a good point uh, so much of this movie has that like there's a lot of uh especially in the scenes when like um the scene where uh the pacino shoots out the back window and everyone freaks out uh oh yeah and he comes out to yell at the main cop uh, originally Pacino was supposed to come out and say something, but Sydney uh, went to that, the cop actor and said, a second he comes out, just start yelling at him. I want oh him to God. react I, to oh, that. that scene is so good. Okay. So they're, so they're locked in the bank and Al Pacino hears people sneaking around the back door that he's like blockaded. And so he shoots out a window, doesn't hit anything or anybody, but then the cop, what you're talking about, the cop yelling at him is like, the cop is chastising him. The cop is like disappointed <laughs> it, dad yelling that, at him like, you know how dangerous that is. Don't do that. It's that moralizing thing. Yes, again. yes, 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 exactly. Uh, That's right. But yeah, it's just like, and you can see it in the performance. Like Pacino comes out ready to say something and the cop starts yelling at him and he just starts reacting in the moment. And it's such Dude. an authentic 
uh, and that's before, especially interesting because you just said that it was like so much such a, a rehearsed style and then filmed quickly that to do that and then set up a trap for somebody as for one of your actors to give them something you're not expecting is really oh, interesting. Speaking of that, um, so Sidney Lumet wrote a, wrote a book called, uh, Ma- I think, Making Movies. Uh, Anthony, have you read that? Uh, no, I've uh, read a lot of excerpts from it, okay. from the information that I have for this podcast. It's it's really good. So, did you read the story about the 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 long phone call scene? So, Sonny has to make oh, a phone call. Yeah, the to one with his, um, the two wives. Yeah, yeah the way yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, the way that was filmed was pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want do you want to tell the story if you're, if you're uh, fresh? In your yeah. So, like you know, there's a scene in the movie where Pacino calls, finally gets to talk to Leon. Then he calls his real his not his real wife, but his uh his first wife. First wife. Afterward. Yeah. Um, and it's this very long monologue. Uh, and the way they filmed it was they had, uh, it's like a 15 minute take, but the film canisters could only hold 10 minutes of film at a time. Jeez. And he wanted to do it all in one take. So the way he did it was he has two cameras from slightly different angles set up. And the one filming and the second the film ran out, the other one would start going. Uh, so Pacino does the entire speech. And then uh, as the when he's getting to the end, they have already refilled the first film canister. So he's like exhausted and he's tired. And he's doing this whole monologue. And he Sydney thought it was great performance, but he needed him to be a little bit more exhausting. So he goes and the way he did it was they put this big black velvet curtain in front of the camera. So he couldn't see any of the crew or anything. All he could see was this black velvet. Uh, so he does the monologue. And then the second he's done with it, Sydney pops up and goes, let's do it one more time. Uh, and Al Pacino, uh... Al Pacino looks up at him and is like, really? Okay. And so it's going into it. And that's the take they use in the movie. So at the beginning of the scene, Al Pacino is looking up with this face like, are you fucking serious? You want me to do all 14 minutes of that again? Yeah. Okay. And he does it. And at the beginning of the scene, if you watch it, you can see him looking up, looking at Sydney, and then he goes into the performance. That's so good. I mean, it does make it feel like directors are kind of monsters and that like your job is to torture actors into giving you real emotions instead of acting. But uh, I like it. In but, yeah, I mean, defense, in the book, he then says, "Like I, I don't like doing this very much. I know this is a shit okay. thing to do. Yeah, I, you know, but but yeah, I mean, like the I read an uh, argument that like what the scene was missing was this feeling that he had been in that bank for twelve hours at this point, right? And that's what you get from the second take after a that's long so game of filming, and you get that second take, you get that sensation that he walked in at two p.m." Planned to be out by two fifteen, and now right. it's eleven o'clock. Right? Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. That comes through. Um, That's so true. I, I mean, that also that phone call with his first wife is so hilarious. It's not at all where I was expecting that call to go. Like that, basically, not there's not a single character in this movie who is how I would ex- how how I would expect that character to behave. Not in an illogical sense, but in the sense that they're just like every one of them surprised me and was more interesting than I would have expected. The the teller who doesn't want to leave. Uh, there's another teller who's like 
having kind of a great time when um, Carol Kane calls her boyfriend and like during during the first 15 minutes of a robbery and she calls him and he's, she's like, yeah, just cook whatever's available. I'll be home. And she's like, can't like it's so he wants so to know when I'll be home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> funny thing so funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then and then to ha- when his when his first wife calls and she's just kind of like she's like lecturing him. She's pestering him, but with no sense of urgency because he's currently about to get killed by the cops like she's just like no look you scared me why why would you do this to me it's so much funnier than i would have expected so much more interesting can i mention my my, my favorite like joyous moment in the movie yes please it's the pizza delivery guy oh, oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, so, so he's so happy <laughs> he's so stoked you also got a huge tip yeah. yeah, he got a huge tip, and I love he's he's so careful not to take the marked bills during the original robbery. And then when the pizza gets brought in for him and the tellers, he's like, "Grab the marked fives. We're giving <laughs> tips today." <laughs> oh, it's so good! It's so funny. Um, although for some reason, all of the like articles are talking about what the real life story is feel like mentioning that actually during the real robbery he asked for burgers and they delivered him pizza and he was pissed off about it which is such a weird thing to note but like i three different articles about it was like he actually wanted burgers okay that's fine uh that's weird also uh yeah that guy is not doing what i expect him to do um perfectly he's like so much more interesting than i would expect and then also like the main cop that he talks to who is also fibbing, but is also genuinely seems like he doesn't want to shoot this guy. Whereas the FBI shows up and they're like, we can't wait to murder you. Yeah. Um, But the cop is actually like a much more, he's also, you know, I guess, I guess one of the takeaways is that when you have a police force this big, there are going to be a couple of good apples and he might be one of them. He's like, actually seems like a kind of interesting, reliable, good employee. But the thing is like with that, it's like, I think if you're going to make the argument that there are some good apples, what this movie kind of reinforces is that just due to the scale and the nature and the real time elements of it, even a good apple is fairly ineffective. Like that. Oh, yes. Yes. That, yes. yes. You know, when he shoots out the back and when he comes out and they're yelling at each other and he's just like, look, man, I don't know what the fuck is going on back there. I don't have <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I, I will try to tell them to stop doing, but I am not in control of them. Like even the guy, who's in control of the situation isn't like it's I, all an illusion, you know, that's such a good point and such a real take in response to what I had hoped would be a better joke than that. Um, but uh, I just feel like, cause everyone always talks about like a few bad apples and then statistically that's not true. It's like only a few good apples. That was my fun joke about that. I thought we should start referring to cops as being a few good apples and it just didn't take. So I like, you know, it. No, I, yeah. like it. I, I wish I hadn't had to talk about it that way. I hoped I, I, I thought, Everyone would erupt. I like. I I, I wrote a pause for applause after that joke <laughs> in my notes. So I'm a little disappointed. But um, oh, one more fun fact from real life, and then I think we're gonna start wrapping this up. But one thing that I thought was uh fun from all the descriptions of what happened in real life is that the this is like we like we said the actual robbery is like pretty soon after the first Godfather came out, and then the then the movie is after the second Godfather. But um, the real life bank robber really liked the godfather and watched it the day before to pump himself up to go do this robbery and his original note to the bank teller telling them that he was robbing them said this is an offer you can't refuse and then he got played by these two got him and his buddy were these two guys from the godfather in in the movie about him uh which i would think might actually make him kind of happy although 
apparently he's not super thrilled about the movie. I but... mean, he did love Pacino and John's yeah. performance. Uh, I, I do. Sure. Uh, one, I want to say just one more kind of cool fact about just like the way this movie was made and all this stuff. But um, I think kind of what you were saying earlier, all the characters in this movie are great. All the bit perps, uh, all the tellers in particular, I think really stand out and are such for such small roles. Like they're in the movie a lot, but you know, you know, you never get formally introduced, but like none of them are like silly cartoons or caricatures. They all feel like real people you know there's all these little great moments they have these in jokes or when they're doing the gun when they're playing with pacino's gun um, yeah it's a great moment but the way sydney lament uh cast them because he wanted them to feel very real um he didn't have them audition reading any material from uh the script because he didn't want to cast actors to play these characters he wanted to cast actors to play themselves so oh, interesting. all the all the tellers um, are basically playing. They weren't like told to develop a character for any of these girls. They all wear their own clothes. They did their own hair and makeup. They all got paid two dollars a day more for bringing their own clothes. OK, good. I was going to say this looks like they're cheaping out, but I like that. Um, fact. But yeah, it was just like he didn't want them. I think it goes into that thing we were saying earlier of like how good all this cast is. And it's because they all feel like real people. And the Tellus totally. a great example of like they were just like, okay, I'm just playing this teller. So I'm when it's gonna be me, I'm gonna play it like I play it like I live myself, you know, and it's just a really interesting approach that I think, you know, shows like pays off in spades with just how good yeah. and charismatic everyone in this movie is nevin do you have any last things you want to make sure we get in here before we wrap it up i was just as a sort of a summary of what i like about this movie and about lumet sort of piggybacking off of this is that um lumet i think is a really like humanist director mm-hmm. like he feels like he he genuinely loves all of his characters and he he shoots for an understanding of them and what drives them yeah. uh, you know, across across this whole spectrum which is why you know other than the the fbi guys are obviously like these cold you know fuck you figures you know uh nobody needs to like develop any empathy for them but other other than them uh they just sort of like stand in for the system everybody else is like yeah they're 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 warm um and i think there's a i I like to divide directors even among those that i that i like into those that that like people and those that hate people Um, (laughs) tarkovsky is a director that i really like but he hates people and so he (laughs) doesn't make movies where you you feel warm about the characters and i feel like lamette really likes his characters it's like it's like he wants to sit down and just like spend time with his characters and so that's what the movies end up feeling like for you i think it just transfers that he has a genuine appreciation and an interest in them he really wants to know what they're that's such a great way to say that and i definitely feel that with even though like which isn't like it's not to say that they're likable in the fact that you think that they are great people but they're like it seems like the person who is uh, representing them cares about the way they're being represented and wants you to like it's that thing it's not that they are people period Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. that he is someone he is you know uh, and again, I've heard them, him talk about this in relation to the like the tellers when he said, um, yeah. you know, it, as a person, you are already a fully realized three dimensional character. We all are. right. So yeah. I, that's what he wanted them to bring to the rules. But it's just like he is someone who is like sees his characters as three dimensional 
people, even like someone like um, uh, Faye Dunaway's character in like Network, who is like this, you know, unrelenting, basically monster of a human being who has no like redeeming qualities and has no like inner like hurt or anything like that. He still captures her in a way that is like, this is who she is. And it's not like in a judgmental way. It is in like a really well-rounded a uh, unique way. Uh, and it's just, again, I think he said like that a great humanist, very naturalistic director that really shows in his work. I hope that like, I know that I'm like a fully realized 3d uh, character already, but I just, I just hope I get a, a redemption arc at some point. I hope <laughs> you too. I, yeah. I, I think it's about time, you know, so far it's been like a pretty undeveloped 10 years, pretty flat. No, I, I, story at this point you know what i mean you're only only halfway done with the movie yeah i mean alex halfway halfway yeah oh yeah you're halfway you don't think i'm gonna get past 70 no i don't think that you're going to um (laughs) i don't know if you're gonna get as much as a redemption arc as more as like a top five anime betrayal arc uh that's more (laughs) of what i see like yeah, I I see you being the like the type of person who like is a villain who really believes himself to be the hero, <laughs> and you know really at all costs have to get what you need done. Um, okay, well if that's true, then I at least just want a good Walt Disney villain song that I get oh, to sing at some point. You'll get one. Don't worry. That's that's what I really want. All right, before we go, I have one uh, quick bit of uh, mailbag business that I want to take care of from last week's episode, which is that we got an email from Brian when I was talking about on Thelma and Louise about how they're, uh, it always terrified. Like, in addition to people almost getting in trouble, a thing that I really hate in movies is when people are driving and they don't watch the road because I hate mm-hmm. car accidents. Um, so Brian wrote in to say, when you're talking about drivers in movies making you nervous, it reminds me of this quick scene from Amelie um which we should also consider he says we should also consider for film school which i would definitely be interested in because i have wanted to watch that for a while but there's a scene where she specifically says i hate it in old american movies when drivers don't watch the road and there's like a shot of the old even like so the problem that i had it turns out if you go further back into like the early rear projection driving scenes they don't even pretend to drive. They just fully look at their person in the passenger seat and talk for several minutes without ever looking forward. And oh my God, it's stressful. I hate it so much. So I guess I guess the point is it's good that we're getting better. Maybe. Although I think probably more new movies have the, the shock car accident than old movies. So back then when they were not looking at the road, at least you knew they were going to not crash. Um. Anyway, so maybe it's getting better. Maybe it's getting worse. What do you guys feel about Amelie? Should I? Should we watch Amelie at some point? Uh, I'm sorry about Amelie because I had um, I don't remember if it was a Blu-ray of it or I may have just pirated it. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I definitely at some point paid for that movie. Uh, yes, it makes me feel any better. But um, the uh, <laughs> the subtitles would get desynced. Oh, sure. Halfway through the movie. And it's, you know, the movie's in French and, you know, my French pretty rusty. So I would say I probably made it. I probably watched a good chunk of that movie and being like, wow, this movie's really kind of going off the rails. No, (laughs) nothing anyone is saying really makes sense. And then I realized like, oh, somewhere it desynced. It must have been desynced the whole time or something. And then like only got bad after a certain Mm. point. If 
that's it's, something that can happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like that scene in uh, Singing in the Rain where it's like, no, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. Like that, where they're just, Literally, it seems yeah. like they're different yeah. characters. Yes. Yeah, I haven't seen Amelie since I was probably in high school, so I'd be interested in going to revisit. I like that filmmaker. I think doing one of his... Um, sort of lesser talked about movies would be interesting, like City of Lost Children or uh, I don't know, it's just really interesting style. You know what I was thinking? You talking about um, your fear of car crashes we should watch? Yes. Uh, we should watch Crash. Not the... <laughs> No, the not good, the, good one. Not the bad Oscar one. The, right. the good know. one. I don't know. It's the good Oscar one. And the the Oscar. Right? Is that right? No. Uh, okay, so you... A brief search shows me there's at least four different movies called Crash, and I so don't want, think I want to watch want any the of Cronenberg, them. right? Yeah, the Cronenberg one. I think okay. we should talk about people. We all know there's a really good one that won Best Picture, and it deserved it. And then there's... Yeah. Uh, not good racist one by Cronenberg, right? That's right. <laughs> that's right. Sure, that's right. Now, Alex, uh, David Cronenberg uh, uh-huh. made, made a movie starring James Spader and Holly Hunter uh, mm-hmm. in the 90s about people who um, find car crashes erotic. Oh, and, and crash, no. crash no. solely <laughs> so they can fuck each other in the wreckage. No. It's, it's real good. We should watch Anthony, that. Anthony, like uh, oh man, I, I think I was a little unclear when I was saying that I don't like it. It's not that I don't like it in that BDSM way that means I like it. It's that I don't like it. Well, this no, thing about, I, <laughs> the thing about it being a BDSM thing is like, you never know till you try. You know what yeah, I mean? Alex, I think this is like a good, this is like you a really good. Don't. I'm just going to, I'm just going to be real I with think, you. Really no, that is a, that is a terrible sexual philosophy. I uh, cannot I, get into that. Alex, you know me. I, I am so scared of car accidents. I don't drive. I am also <laughs> right there with you. Um, but, let me just say, I think it's it will be good like immersion therapy for you. Just really <laughs> shove you into the deep end. Have you ever wanted oh, to watch no. James Spader crawl mangled out of a car accident and start fucking somebody? No, I don't uh, like any of this. Uh, I think you would like it. It's a good, it's Cronenberg legitimately fucking rules. So I'd be down to do anything from him. Um, oh my God, that sounds so awful. There's also a 1976 movie called crash where a car is possessed by the devil and co- goes on a car accident uh thing where it goes around crashing a bunch of times for fun um yeah so that seems unpleasant as well uh but i want to watch none of these i'd like to watch only movies where drivers are safe or wow. have their licenses suspended okay well somebody pay alex so we can watch <laughs> crash yeah oh, I, this is I, so would love, I would love i would love against him please yeah. I Come have. I was actually thinking about um, a new segment uh, I was going to pitch to you guys at some point, but I'll tell you really quick right now as we wrap, which is that I think I wanted something more to give to the Meat Buddies where they could all like vote on stuff, but also I'm having fun with guests picking topics. So I was thinking about having uh, anybody who donates to the show getting to vote on a either weekly or monthly uh, extra credit thing where I have to watch it and just report back so that it could be it would not disrupt our flow of good things. But if you wanted to tort, like if you're paying enough that you want to make me sad, you could like make me watch car accident boner movie. So yeah, maybe that would be an extra credit feature. Alex, to I, I, you have my support. Anybody who wants to pay <laughs> to make Alex watch crash. Oh, it sounds so awful. Okay, well, uh, we'll see if that's going to happen. But we have to get out of here. 
Thank you so much for listening. We will be back again next week. Next week, you guys, we're talking about the secret of Nim. Is what we're talking about. Just just the one secret, right? It's not secrets. Um, There's only one. And I'm pretty sure the secret is LSD. That's right, right? Oh, no. I thought it was that, like, you just have to think it and the universe gives it to you. Yeah, LSD. Oh, okay. Well, (laughs) Um, so we're going to watch that uh, and talk about uh, non Disney animation, I think, is going to be part of the theme. Um, Don Bluth has a new animation company, uh, 2D animation company coming out. And so we're going to go back and revisit that along with our very special guest at the time. I have never seen it, um, but I do have this sort of, it was like I was a child at the time where the Disney and not Disney cartoons were piling up. And it's kind of interesting to like, we didn't care. It's not like I knew what the company was, but it'd just be like, wait, why is this Disney movie crappy? And they're like, oh, it's because it's not. Uh, and I'm excited to talk about that. We also watched... Um, uh, what, what was it called? Uh, All Dogs Go to Heaven for the show a little while back, and that is a wackadoodle movie. So I'm looking forward to finding this out. Um, and probably talking about acid. So that's going to happen. If you have any uh, feedback for us, if you have anything we need to talk about, email us, podcast at readdashweep.com. You can also... Um, start thinking about if you're a meat buddy which you can become by going to metreon.com and you can join our patreon um, if you do that uh, there might be a chance to vote on some extra credit in the future and so it could be car accident boner movies or something I would like it's up to you guys that'll be coming out later so uh, and thank you to all our meat buddies who support the show thanks for being here Anthony this is a lot of fun car crashes are very erotic stop it um, also uh, thanks for <laughs> thanks for uh, joining me Hunter yeah hey man thank you you're only from the woods at the beginning and end. I like that about you. Yeah, it's my, my sign off for us. In, enjoy, enjoy your uh, hanging out with your woodchucks or being a woodchuck. I can't remember that joke from earlier. And uh, Nevin Murgan. Nevin Murgan. Um, that's your more piratey than Russian, I think. Anyway. I like it either way. Thank you. Um, at at Murgan, M-R-G-A-N, Mr. Gan on Twitter. Also, you can find uh, find you on Letterboxd if you want to see what else you you, you actually uh, not actually, but you take you take your reviews there very seriously and write actually like insightful things. I try to only do jokes, um, so I but I appreciate your your reviews on Letterboxd, so it's also a possibility. Um, also, fun you you are like I believe you're you're just your last name on Twitter and you're just your first name on Letterboxd. I, I, I know it's. Twitter's too big. Twitter's too big. That's very true. Hard to get what you want. I guess that's the message of Dog Day Afternoon. It's hard to get what you want. I mean, yeah. I wanted him to succeed, but also there is kind of a slippery slope. If the FBI just gives you anything you want whenever you take a hostage, that might be like a moral hazard. If anyone just, if you you get a free jet, like that might be a bummer in the long run. There might be way more armed robberies. Well, imagine if everybody had a free jet, where would we be? Exactly. I really appreciate you bringing this to us and hanging out with us. We'll talk to everybody again next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.